Digital Tells is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other broadcast channels. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. The reason why we use it at Digital Tells is because it is super easy to get started, and it allows you to be heard by a wide variety of listeners, all with the click of one button. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Coming up on Digital Tells, I had the chance to talk with Dean Brenner today, CEO and founder of the Latimer Group. It's been in business for 20 years and they have been teaching Fortune 500 companies how to communicate better. Really interesting conversation, incredible background from Dean. And one of the things that uh, really stood out to me about this conversation is the level of depth that Dean has thought about these topics and thought about communication. You can't do this for 20 years and not walk away with some real clear uh, understanding of how to communicate better. It's very apparent in how he communicates himself. And I really think that by listening to this episode, by the end of it, you really will be a better virtual communicator as a result of listening to this episode. So sit back, enjoy what we're gonna do here on Digital Tells. Let's go ahead and fire it up. Everybody, thank you for being here today. Uh, I am joined by Dean Brenner. Dean, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here, just so that we can kind of all get familiar with what it is that you do and and frame the context for this discussion. Sure. Tell us a little bit about your work at the Latimer Group. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So my colleagues and I at the Latimer Group are coaches and trainers focused on one very specific skill. Uh, how do we be the best possible communicators we can be. How do we communicate as clearly and as persuasively as possible? I started the business almost 20 years ago. We partner with corporate, you know, uh, Fortune 500 organizations, and we work with them in the training of their executives and their employees through workshops and one-on-one -on -one coaching on how do you get to the point? How do you make your message as clearly as possible? How do you get heard in a, in a really noisy world, which is something I'm sure you and I are going to talk about today. So, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And it is a noisier world. And um, not only is it noisier, but everything is that much more virtual now. I'm curious, how has the pandemic kind of shifted uh, our paradigm of what good communication is like or has it? Uh, no, well, you, you can answer that in a variety of ways. I, I think it would be hard to say that the pandemic hasn't had an impact. Of course, it's had an impact. It's had a huge impact in a lot of ways. But one of the things that comes up a lot in our coaching is that we're encouraging people to reframe the way they're thinking about that impact. And, and what we're seeing people struggle with all the time is that they are assuming that now that we're virtual, it's automatically impossible to connect. It's automatically impossible to engage. And, and we literally see people waving the figurative 
white flag mm-hmm. saying, this is really hard. I can't do this. Yeah. And, and the conversation that I'm really excited to have with you today is to reframe that for people because is it different? Absolutely. Is it harder in some ways? Yes. But is it impossible? Absolutely not. We just have to think about it a little bit differently and behave a little bit differently. And, and once we start doing that, it becomes a lot less intimidating it is really one of the main messages that we, we have today for your listeners. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I assume and I don't just assume I have talked with researchers and some of the research that we've done at Slide Tech um, has suggested that there are kind of these foundational communication um, principles that translate both in person and in a virtual context. So tell me a little bit, uh, what are some of those non-negotiable characteristics of great communication, um, regardless of context? Well, you know, we, we, have, we have a really great team at the Latimer Group, and, and you'll probably hear me quote some of my wonderful colleagues a few times today. And I'm going to start by quoting uh, my colleague, Chris, who said something in a, in a, in a session we had a couple of weeks ago. And Chris said, if you want engagement, you have to engage, which mm-hmm. sounds really ridiculously simple, but it is so powerful and so true because you know, here's a conversation I've had a couple of thousand times in my coaching career where somebody will say, I'm really having trouble engaging my audience. Well, tell me how you went about the session. Well, I did my presentation. Then at the end, I asked for questions. Like, so you spoke for like 50, 55 minutes. Yeah. And at the end, you asked for questions and you're surprised by the fact that nobody was engaging with you. Am I hearing you right? And, you know, and I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit to make my point, but, but Chris's point is spot on that if you want engagement, you have to be intentional about it. And that's the paradigm in person, virtual, whatever. Now, how do you do it in person versus how do you do it virtually? Is it a little bit different? Yeah, for sure. But it's, it's going to come back to wanting to create that engagement and being intentional about the way you go about it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And one of the things that, you know, we say a lot at Slide Tech is that engagement shouldn't just be for engagement's sake, right? So that if I'm asking the audience to do something, um, there's a reason for it that I want them to, you know, uh, retain some knowledge or, you know, edify the people around them. Um, and, and help them understand a concept a little bit further, deeper, or put it into practice. How I, I see you kind of nodding and, and yeah. uh, you know, reacting to that. Let me get your reactions. What do you think about well, that? Yeah, I mean, it starts with you have to, you, you have to want, you have to have a curiosity about other people's voice yeah. and, and wanting to hear it. And, and, and you have to have a curiosity about having other voices in the conversation. Some people just want to hear themselves talk and, and hey, that's okay. You know, if that's your, if that's your thing, okay. But then don't be surprised when nobody wants to participate with you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I really do think it starts with an intellectual curiosity and a recognition that, Hey, there, there's probably some other voices here that are going to be really powerful. And Oh, by the way, this is going to be a lot more interesting for them. If I give them a little oxygen yeah. to be yeah. part of the conversation. And if you can't make that leap and, and a lot of people either can't make it or just haven't thought to make it. Right. And that's the first thing is, is you have to say, well, you have to want other voices at the table or you just want to hear yourself talk. Right. Right. 
That makes sense. And, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, that mm-hmm. concept of giving somebody a little bit of oxygen, giving your audience a little bit of oxygen, how has that, how have the tactics changed now that we're virtual in order to do that rather than what you might traditionally do in person? Yeah, it, well, first of all, and, and I'll just throw up a simple little framework here. My colleagues and I love simple frameworks. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, because it, because the barriers to engagement are a little bit greater virtually, we would argue that you have to start your process, your intentional process, a little bit earlier. So if, if we were going to do this meeting in a room together right now, and, and, and the people that are listening in and me and you were going to be in a room, would I think about how my, would I think about starting the engagement with the audience before the session started? Maybe a little bit, but if you and I had a really good dialogue and we were engaging guys and we were drawing them in in the room, I don't know that you'd have to do a ton before the meeting to, to have everybody drawn in. They would just feed off the energy. It's a little bit, a little bit harder in a virtual setting because a lot of people come to virtual assuming that it's one way. So, you know, with this little s- simple framework that we've got up on the screen here, we would actually argue that the that successful engagement virtually starts before the session or the conversation even begins, even with the way you design the session. Yeah. There's a before, during, and an after component. And, and we think when you're thinking on all three of those levels, you're now heading down a really good path. Does yeah. that make sense? It does make sense. Um, I love that. And I think a lot of the times, you know, I'm thinking back to the virtual sessions, virtual trainings, virtual conversations that I've had. Yeah. And the times that you can really prepare people ahead of time, um, not only does it allow you to be a little bit more polished, mm-hmm. I think it also allows them to know what to expect. They can do a little bit of thinking on their own. And you have this broader um, yes. way for them to engage with your material, right? You're giving them time ahead of time to think about the material. That's going to produce a different... Uh, experience and maybe a little bit deeper than just kind of springing something on them. That's one way to do it. Um, But another way would be to give them multiple venues for thinking through something both before, after. Um, And it seems to me like you could actually get a little bit deeper there, a little bit impact, a greater impact. Yeah. I mean, you know, for example, you know, some people will say, well, before the meeting, you have to send around the agenda. Well, sure, I agree with that. That's a true statement. But it's also, we would argue, an incomplete statement. Hmm. Because just sending around an agenda doesn't necessarily create any engagement at all. So, for example, sending around an agenda, comma, that also includes what your expectations are along the way and whose voice you might want to hear at various points along the agenda. So we just had an internal team meeting today. Uh, with our whole team. And we rotate, by the way, who leads the meetings, which is another interesting way to drive engagement. Because when everybody feels the loneliness of leading the meeting, they're more likely to be engaged when their colleagues leading the meeting. Conversation. And our agendas always include the topic, the, the leader of the discussion, and how everybody else is expected to be involved in that discussion. So it might say, you know, business update from Dean, come list prepared to listen and ask questions or it might say business update led by dean kendra and hannah 
and we will be driving towards these two decisions mm. or, you know, whatever, like, the, like, it's not just, these are our topic areas. Right. And, and there's a lot of those kinds of examples, but it, it, what, what we're coming back to is this concept of just going an extra step or two in lots of different tangible ways to be intentional and say, how do I make it easy for people to get beyond this virtual wall, which is essentially what it is. Right. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think it also, with that, creating the expectation of how you're going to engage kind of gives people guardrails to feel comfortable sure. about engaging, right? Yeah, absolutely uh, right. And, yeah. and you know, you're never going to have 100% engagement. You know, even if you're great at this and completely intentional, there will be multitaskers on the call. And now if you're really bad at this, there will be more multitaskers. If you're really good at this, there will be fewer. But there's almost always going to be some. And it's not about do you get 100% engagement every time? That's, that's an unrealistic metric. The right. metric right. is how high is your batting average? Right. You know? And in general, do you get a variety of people talking yeah. in the session? And if you're doing that consistently, and it's not just one way, if it feels two way, you're probably in the neighborhood of doing things well. Right. One question that I, I had um, for you, just kind of to piggyback off of that, and then I've got a few more. Um, sure. you're, what are some of the ways that you are kind of measuring that? How are you measuring that uh, engagement um, during a discussion? Like like with some of our clients, like when we run one of our service offerings? Yeah, so you come out of a, a, a training or a, a service offering yep. and you think to yourself, that went really well because X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. What are those measures? Well, at there's, there's a few things that we're looking at. And by the way, for most of our client virtual engagements, one of the other things we're doing differently than we ever would have done in person is we have more than one member of our team on the, on the, in the session. Interesting. When we, when we used to do all of our coaching and training in person, which we did up until about 20 months ago, we would typically send one member of our team off to the client venue and, and that would be it. And they do whatever had been, we'd been hired to do. Now, when we do it virtually, not every engagement, but most of them, and certainly the ones that have groups above, let's say, eight or 10 people, we'll have a second member of the team on there who isn't leading the discussion, but who's specifically there to host. Mm -hmm. and, and that's to keep an eye on the technology, but also to drive engagement. So what are the metrics we're looking for? Well, first of all, how many times did we get other people speaking during the session? And how many times, how many different people did we get speaking? You can have a lot of give and take, but it could just be because of one or two people who just are, are wired that way. Right. How, how much variety, what percentage of the whole group did you actually hear from? The other thing is in the chat, we use the chat actively. I'm sure you know that you're, you're familiar with that too. I know you guys are into that. And the host is specifically uh, tasked with monitoring the chat, but not just staring at it, asking questions engaging in the chat. Now that can be a double-edged sword because if the chat becomes too vibrant, it can pull some of the focus away from this. Right. So you have to navigate that carefully, but we're looking at how many people are speaking up, how often, how active is the chat. And then there's a totally subjective, and I'm, I'm getting into tactics now, so I'm going to go to my next slide. Uh, the, there's also the entirely subjective 
what are you seeing on camera? Yeah. Right. And an important metric is you can't force people to turn their cameras on. Well, maybe you can. Maybe there's a company norm where that's a clearly understood norm. Okay. But let's assume that's not the case for a moment. You can encourage them to. And if everybody on your team has theirs on, you're going to get more people doing it. So the more people that are turning their cameras on, that is a signal of engagement. And then once their cameras are on, do you see people nodding? Do you see people sort of laughing at a certain question? Can you see if people are taking notes? Now, right now, I'm looking down. Am I taking notes or am I staring at my phone? You're not exactly sure. I'm taking, you know, I'm pretending I'm taking notes. So I, I don't know that there's a lot of scientific metrics. Now, your software uh, may, may, may solve that problem. Okay. But, but, you know, just without, without a, a smart platform tell you certain things about engagement, you're looking at it somewhat subjectively. Right. But you can tell a lot that way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and I'm looking at this visual here um, that you've got with the before, the during, and the after kind of achieving this intentional engagement. And a lot of what you're saying um, really fits in with, with this yeah. nice graphic here, right? Like before, before I even get in, I'm setting expectations. I'm curating my setting. Um, mm -hmm. I'm identifying ways that I can pull people in. That's almost defining those metrics, right? Upfront. Um, then you've got the during, you know, how to, how to get them talking, leaning into the silence, some of that stuff. And then afterwards, following up with an email, reiterating next steps. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, that just, I, I love the cohesion of that. Right. Yeah, and, and let, let me talk about a couple of those because one of the mistakes that people make is they could have the absolute best intentions of wanting engagement, planning for engagement, and then it all goes awry because they try to cram too much content in. Mm. And now you're sprinting to get through your slide deck or your meeting notes or your agenda. You have to be really intentional about like, is this a 60 minute meeting? And if I want engagement, that's not a 60 minute, that better not be a 60 minute agenda. Right. It better be like, pick your number, a 40 minute agenda, mm -hmm. a 30 minute agenda so that you're not in a rush. And if a conversation starts to happen, you don't have to cut it off because you're worried about finishing yep. or whatever. And by the way, if you overestimate the agenda, the, the engagement and the meeting wraps up 10 minutes early, is that a problem? Like, has anybody ever gotten in trouble ever in the history of mankind for ending a meeting early? Right. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, if you do that enough, they're going to put your name on a plaque somewhere. <laughs> yeah, how to become instantly popular at work. Absolutely. Right? Um, yeah. you, know, you know, Sam's the guy that always gives me 10 minutes of my day back. That's a reputation I would never want to have. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and the, the other one that you mentioned that I'll just talk about for a second that I see a lot of people struggle with is the silence. Mm. And, and when I'm on a, and this was particularly true on conference calls, but you still can even hear it on video meetings. When somebody will say, so the, uh, here's the way most people do it, or I'll demonstrate, and in, in, yeah. we're in a video environment. So, so are there any questions? Okay. Well, if you think of anything, don't hesitate, you know, jump yeah. right in and interrupt me. Here's the right way to do it. That's the wrong way to do it. Here's the right way to do it. So are there any questions? Plenty of time. Don't hold back. 
I mean, I am just fighting the urge so hard not to just jump in and ask a question. Because the point is, and I time this all the time in other people's sessions. When most people ask for questions, on average, they wait about three seconds before they get uncomfortable with the silence and, and then they just fill the space. Yeah. And if you're waiting three seconds, even five seconds, you're not going to get any questions because almost nobody wants to go first. Most people have themselves on mute and they're leaning into unmute or whatever. And if you move on really quickly, you could have somebody who was about to ask a question. You've now moved on and they say, I forget it. Yeah. Second time I did it, it might've felt like I waited an hour. I actually waited and I was counting. I waited 10 seconds. Then I said, don't hold back. And then I waited five more seconds. That total elapsed time was about 20 seconds, which feels like forever. Like, again, these are just tangible examples. If you want people to start talking, lean into the silence, like get really comfortable with a few seconds of dead air. It might just be that you shame people into asking because they're almost like somebody needs to say something. This is getting awkward. Right. I don't care why they ask. I just care that they ask. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And, and I think it's kind of in everyone's nature to, you know, want to fill in or at least you know make like you almost shift the responsibility of making the uh conversation happen to your audience right now they're invested now they're a part of uh the conversation because they feel this kind of joint ownership she's uh yeah really interesting one one of the one one thing on the after piece i'll just make one quick point whatever engagement you do after just think of it as really setting up the next engagement yeah, that's the real value of the after is it keeps the momentum going for the next time you talk to them. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not only these three before, during, after, but it's how do we stitch multiple yeah. blocks of these before, during and afters together. Um, yes. because you're kind of thinking about the holistic 100%. Uh, journey here. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, one of the ideas that I'm most persuaded by with COVID-19 is that it kind of acted as an accelerant to already gathering forces and trends of digitization, um, et cetera. You know, you've got distraction and isolation and loneliness. All this stuff was already kind of brewing, kind of in the mix. Then COVID-19 comes in and digital communication becomes the only communication for a while. So, you know, everybody wants to know, is this the new normal that's here to stay? And um, if, if so, what are kind of some of those implications for communication, communication, connecting and persuasion that can kind of cut out some of those more negative factors that maybe were, were growing in terms of distraction, isolation, et cetera? Yeah. Well, great question. And, you know, whether it's here to stay, I don't have a crystal ball, uh, you know, but I will tell you that every client company that we interact with, which, which is a, a pretty big number in a range of industries, everybody's asking themselves the same questions. And, you know, when do we go back and do we go all the way back to life before? And I'm pretty sure that every major company is going to conclude that the answer to that is no, we're not going exactly back to the way we were before. I don't think their their employees want to go back to the way they were before. We're having this conversation within our team right now. And we're a team of nine. Yeah. And we'll go back to something hybrid-ish at some point, 
but we're almost certainly never going back to exactly the way it was before. So I think these skills are going to be important on an ongoing basis. This is not a flavor of the month conversation. This is something we need to get comfortable with. That's, that's, I'm certain about that. And then, you know, when you talk about engagement and connection and persuasion, those three things are directly connected. Engagement leads to connection and connection leads to persuasion. Mm. It's hard to connect with somebody you're not engaged with, and you're less likely to be persuaded by somebody that you don't feel a connection to. So to me, engagement to connection to persuasion or influence, however strong you want to say that, that's a journey, mm. right? And, 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 and I think, you know, the paradigm there is we have to, A, get comfortable connecting in different ways, get over the, it's really hard thing. Yeah. Yes. It, yes. It's hard. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's hard. And, and, and just lean into it and say, all right, I'm going to have to behave in different ways. I'll give you some examples. You know, we, we spend a lot of time on our team talking about how we interact. We used to have a really nice office culture and my colleague Kendra was always an early arriver in the office with me. And we'd always sit and have coffee together unscheduled only two in the office and catch up. We don't do that anymore in person, but we do it occasionally virtually like early in the day. Hey, Kendra, you want to have a cup of coffee tomorrow? We don't do it as much as I think either of us would like to, but we do it. And it's unscripted. It's not about business. It's like, what's going on with your life? That those kinds of intentional interactions are really, really important because, you know, one of the things that's happened is everybody's calendar is now filled up with virtual meetings, which are highly efficient, but also really draining. So there's another part of this where you have to be really protective of your own time and block out time on your calendar. So somebody can't just jump in there and schedule another Zoom meeting. Don't be afraid to block out some reflection time or some time to do some busy work or some unscripted time to just talk to a colleague or God forbid, like sit and sit in peace and quiet for 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, what a novel thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's all okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And, and it, it speaks to kind of this point that we had earlier, which is that um, it's not because everything is virtual. There are multiple different, contexts now you've got the before the during and the after and having um you know a a way to disconnect to you know schedule out some of that time i think allows you to prepare better um for upcoming upcoming meetings and things um i want to i want to get into one thing here that is this crazy stat that i found um while kind of researching for this episode and it is that 55% of Americans anticipate looking for a new job. Now, this is this is as of August 25th, 2021, right? Yeah. So this is recent data. And, you know, I, I was not the only one that found this perplexing or interesting. Gallup recently conducted a study about this, quote, great resignation, yes. which found these three reasons at the top of the list. So the first one is, not seeing opportunities for development. This is reasons why people are looking for a new job. Not seeing opportunities for, de- for development, not feeling connected to a company's purpose, and three, not having strong relationships at work. Now, it, I'm, you know, just yeah. kind of coming into this data, but 
it seems to me that two thirds of those are about connection, right? Connection with people, um, connection with the company's purpose. How would you encourage leaders to be more effective at connecting with their employees and driving that connection? Well, I think about this constantly. And, you know, it used to be that the power in the employer-employee relationship existed with the employer. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, I'm, I suppose, in some cases, I'm, or in certain ways, I'm sure that's still true. Okay. But what you have to realize is that you are responsible for creating a culture that people want to be a part of. And, and if you're not actively, and we're back to this word again, intentionally thinking about how you're going to make that happen, you're not going to retain top talent. You know, people are going to stay with you for one of two reasons, because they want to, or because they have nowhere else to go. Mm. And, and you want them to always choose the want to. This is a place I want to be. And by the way, I also think there's a lot of data out there that says people will be willing to stay places even if they're not making absolute top dollar that they could if they love the environment, if they love the culture. 100%. And, by the, and, and you know, you used the word accelerant before. COVID's an accelerant on that because so many more organizations are now remote that there are fewer restrictions on where people can work. Yeah. I've got colleagues working for me now that I've never met. Wow. And, and, and that would never have been the case two years ago, ever. So, you know, I think, I think as a business leader, you have to take a really good, hard look in the mirror. And I, like many others, have gone through that in the last two years and said, hey, like, what, what do I need to do differently in this new environment? And there's a long list of things that I'm now doing differently. The other piece of advice, though, that that stat tells me is if I hear 55% of people are going to be looking for a new job, if I'm the individual that might be in that 55%, that tells me there's a lot of competition and it's going to be a really noisy marketplace and I better be a good communicator. Yeah, absolutely. How do I communicate to a prospective new employer that totally. I actually uh, could do some great stuff for the organization? hundred percent. It is a very noisy world out there. And we tell people all the time, if you want to be heard, okay, you have to think about what's going to make somebody want to listen to what you have to say. I mean, you know, you have to be able to advocate for yourself, for your, for your ideas, the things you believe in. And, you know, so there, there, that, that stat speaks loudly to me, not only for the corporate co corporation, but also for the individual. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, last question here. Uh, what is one easy thing that our listeners can do to be a little bit more persuasive in a virtual world. We got a lot of people, the promise yep. that we make to the listeners of this show is you'll come on and, and learn quick, tangible things that you can do to improve your virtual communication. What's one easy thing they can do to be more persuasive? Uh, because we're all so busy and because we're all trying to rattle through our to-do lists and because we're all human beings and the way the human mind is wired, a lot of people, most of the time, are communicating based on their own perspective. What I want, what I think, what I need. And, and, and in a world where, you know, people are like, hey, I have to advocate for what I believe in. I, I believe you do too. But you have to balance that with, a, with, with an understanding of what's going to resonate with your audience. Just because I want something and I'm willing to ask for it and advocate for it doesn't mean I'm going to get it. 
Yeah. And, and, and if you want to be more persuasive, especially in a world where it's harder to connect, you have to really lean into, hey, if I want Sam to agree with me on this, what's going to make this interesting for Sam? Mm. Not just, I want this really badly. Okay. That, that advocating for what you believe in is half the equation. Finding a way to connect it to what you care about is the other half, arguably the more important half. And I, I think that's hard for a lot of people anyway. I think in a world where we're feeling disconnected, it's a lot easier to retreat into your own mind. Yeah. And, and, and that's going to make you inherently less persuasive. 90% of the coaching conversations I have come down to getting the person to see, not with tunnel vision, but with a broad perspective, what's going to be interesting for the other side on this? How do we, how do we make them care? Yeah. Figure that out and you have the keys to the castle. Well, it's golden advice, and it's something that I hope our listeners really take to heart. Um, not only will I think, do I think that that will make them more effective virtual uh, persuaders, but I also think it kind of helps the world be a little bit better of a place, right? Where you're thinking about 100%. Uh, other people. And so I appreciate that sage wisdom. Dean, if people want to learn a little bit more about what you do in the Latimer Group, maybe they're interested in something that you said here. What's the best way for them to stay connected uh, with you and learn a little bit more? Last slide up on the screen right now. Nice segue. Cool. So we're on all the typical channels and, you know, we'd love to hear from anybody that wants to stay connected or learn more. Uh, you know, you can locate all of us on our website or, or whatever, uh, you know, however, we make ourselves easy to find. Latimer Group's not hard to find. Yeah. And we would love to hear from any of your listeners and, you know, if a friend of yours can become a friend of ours, then this has been a great experience for, for me and my team. Definitely agree. And um, quick shout out to your blog, uh, really excellent blog over Thank at you. the Latimer Group. So um, for those who are listening, if you want to learn a little bit more, definitely recommend uh, subscribing to the blog at the Latimer Group. Uh, Dean, it's been an absolute pr pleasure. Thank you definitely. so much for being with us today, for sharing a little bit of your time uh, and perspective. Um, and I'm excited to stay in touch. Thank you, Sam. It's been great to be here. Thanks to you and your team and good luck as you head down the journey with your company. Can't Thank wait you. to follow your progress. I appreciate you, man. We'll see you. Thanks. See you. Thanks for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And we're going to be back next week uh, talking with Joe Dukevich about how to be a better leader when virtual. He's going to walk us through his methodology. Tune in next week. We'll see you then.